Hello, and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9 a.m. or for our more traditional service at 11 a.m. We also stream full services live on our Facebook page. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Now, perhaps it is part of the hazard of being in a religion that has existed for almost 2,000 years and who is also built upon a religion, Judaism, that existed for thousands of years even before that, that sometimes we think that these moments that we are celebrating, like Pentecost, were only in the past, that these are memorial days where we are only remembering something that has come and gone. And we honor it, we remember it, we recognize it, but what does it have to do with the here and now? Well, I want to remind you that what was happening right before that text took place was dark indeed. The apostles were not living it up in glory over the resurrection of Jesus. No, at the first Easter, they were taken aback and overwhelmed and struggling to understand, much less believe, that Christ had risen from the dead. And then for 40 days, the risen, resurrected Christ walked among the earth, engaging and interacting not only with the apostles, but those other disciples that had come to believe in and follow him, and also engaging in those who would become disciples. But then on the 40th day, he took them to the mountain, they ascended, and then he ascended to heaven. But before he went, the gospel account of Matthew tells us that Jesus instructed them to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that they had been taught by him, and to continue to go forth and do things in this world to build upon the kingdom that his birth inaugurated, that his ministry had laid a firm foundation, but that there was work for them to do. And they watched as he ascended in the cloud, which is memorialized in our largest stained glass window in the back of our sanctuary. And then they just kept watching, even after they could no longer see him. Where do we look for help? Perhaps it was that they were living out Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who just vanished from our sight. And so they stood there so long, watching and waiting, that an angel came and said, why are you looking up there? He is gone. He will come back. But right now, he is gone. And I will add my own paraphrase. He left you some things to do. So you need to stop looking up there and come back down here and do the work. What did they do? They immediately went back to Jerusalem, up to that upper room, and hid. They immediately went back to a cloistered existence, safety in their small numbers, and in an upper room where they felt that at least they were somewhat protected. Waiting. For what? Now, the Gospel account of John tells us that Jesus promised them on the night in which he was betrayed, the night in which he instituted Holy Communion for us, that Jesus was trying to preemptively comfort them and promise them that he would send the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, the Comforter, to remind them of all that he had taught them, of all that they should know. 
and that this would help to ensure that they would be able to do exactly what Jesus asked them to do at his ascension. But they, like so many of us, in a moment of destabilization, in a moment of fear and anxiety, retreated to a safe space and waited. And they had to wait for a long time. Forty days after Easter, Jesus ascended, and it would be another ten days before Pentecost. Now, I know that in some ways, ten days doesn't sound like a lot of time. But if you remember that you are waiting for something, that you're, the safety of your lives, your entire future, you have spent three years following Jesus only to see him brutally crucified and then miraculously resurrected and then ascend into heaven, what do you do now? They were waiting because they needed to know what is the next step? Where is the path? What is the plan? Where is this Holy Spirit? Ten agonizing days. Now, if you've ever needed a vacation and someone says, I'm going to give you a 10-day vacation, you'll realize that 10 days can be a gloriously long time. But it can also be an agonizing time if you are waiting for something to happen and it doesn't happen on day one and it doesn't happen on day two or three. You get past the first week and it still hasn't happened. And it's like crying out to God, when, oh God, when? And they tried to do a little something. There's a brief paragraph in the scriptures that tell us that right before Pentecost, they had managed to gather in that room and they started to do what every single person should do as a Christian when you don't know what to do. They prayed. They prayed as individuals. They prayed collectively together. They started to allow other people to be a part of that mix. The Acts of the Apostles records for us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Of course she was there because... The Gospel account of John tells us that Jesus made the beloved disciple responsible for her and her responsible to him. And so she was there and there were some other women who had gathered there too. And they were there praying, they were there yearning and waiting and hoping and probably fearing as well. And then they realized that the apostles were down to 11. And they felt that they needed one more. So in their prayer and their discernment, they decided to cast lots and decide who would be the 12th apostle to replace the beloved one that they lost. And it turns out that it's Matthias. And so now they have their 12 and they have the other followers of Jesus and now they are ready and still they wait. Why the chasm of time? Why 10 days? God could certainly have done this the same day. God could have had Christ descend and the Holy Spirit descend all in the same day. Why the waiting period? That's a holy mystery we have no answer to this day. But something needed to happen in that time. Maybe they needed to turn to prayer. Maybe they needed to come together. Maybe they needed to add to their number. Maybe there was something that isn't even recorded in the scriptures that was happening in that time so that they were ready for Pentecost. And then it came. And it didn't come like a dove alighting on Jesus at his baptism. It came like a rushing, violent wind, so loud that people all over Jerusalem came out to see what had happened. It came and hovered over their heads like tongues of fire. Remember, 
These are people who are inside a building and an upper room, which means that they would have to somehow go downstairs to escape back before we had fire alarms and safety plans. And fire has just filled the room. Pentecost was probably awesome and terrifying at the same time. But then something truly incredible happens. You've got 12 apostles, and all 12 can suddenly speak in languages that they have never been able to speak in previously. They probably hadn't even heard some of these languages, much less with thought to themselves, I should learn the native tongue of Pamphylia. It could come in handy. But instead, God knew what they needed. God knew if you were really going to grow this from 11 and not just 12, but into thousands and thousands and millions of people who understood the love of God and the salvation of Jesus Christ, you were going to have to speak their language. You were going to need to know their tongue. And all of a sudden, they could. And humankind has been jealous ever since. If you've ever struggled to learn a foreign language, then you know that being able to just have it would be a gift. It would be great. Could you imagine what you could accomplish if suddenly you didn't need Rosetta Stone? If suddenly you didn't have to do four years of Spanish in high school and then another two in college and still not be able to do anything but ask where the bathroom is and order off a menu? You would marvel at what had accomplished that day. And it was so miraculous that the people who had gathered outside looked at this and said, how do these backwater Jewish men from Galilee, how do they know how to talk in our language? Because they looked down on the Aramaic of Galilee. They looked down on people from that part of the world. It would be like referring to them as country bumpkins. They were not respected. And yet suddenly they could speak so clearly, so perfectly, to do what was before them. They had been empowered by God to do the work. And the people that had come to witness it couldn't wrap their minds around the power of God. Even though all of the Jews from all over the known world had been reading the exact same prophetic text of Joel, the one that said that my spirit will come, it will be on your people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will have visions and your old men will dream dreams. It was foretold. But here it was and they didn't believe it. And then they try, as many do, to try to figure out some earthly way to explain the divine. Well, they got to be drunk. I don't know anybody who gets clearer and more educated the more drunk they get. But that's exactly what they were saying. Look, suddenly they can speak these languages. And Peter, who had been appointed by Christ to be the foundation of this next iteration of this faith, who was to be the rock upon which the church was built that day, got up and said to those people, they're not drunk, it's nine o'clock in the morning, which is going back to such a sweet time, as if you couldn't get drunk at nine o'clock in the morning back then. And yet he says to them, no, they are filled with God's power. This isn't alcohol. This isn't fermented grape juice. This is God doing something incredible. Just like God promised 
God promised us in Joel that this day would come, and it is here. And we as the church now, and probably for the last thousands of years, the last thousand years, have been thinking to ourselves, that happened then, but where is it now? Where is it? Just because we don't hear the loud rushing sound, just because we don't see the tongues of flames over the heads of others, do we assume that Pentecost has come and gone and is over? We are to be reminded about Pentecost, not just on Pentecost when we change over our pyramids, but there are times throughout the liturgical year where we see red and we should be reminded that not only did Pentecost happen, but it is happening. Anytime the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people, and they are given those gifts to prophesy, to vision, to dream dreams. We were not given the Holy Spirit to assert dominance and power over. We were given the Holy Spirit to wonder and to dream beyond this world. What we see, hear, and experience now. We were given the power and the path to build a kingdom here. And we wonder, has that happened? Is that what happened? Or has all the glory come and gone? Now, yesterday in the afternoon, I officiated the funeral of a former church member here at Crozet. And his time here in Crozet at the United Methodist Church predates mine. He had been born in New Jersey, and he and his wife and his family had relocated to a number of places, not only in the United States, but around the world, because he had served a time in the military. And at one point, he, they had come here while their only son and his family were in North Carolina, and they had hoped that they would complete what they were doing in North Carolina and then come back, but that took a while, and so they ended up following them to North Carolina. And then right before the pandemic, this man and his, his beloved bride, and now his son and their family, came back to Charlottesville, but the pandemic prevented them from coming here. And then, at almost 95, he passed away. And his widow, who was almost 92, had the unenviable job of coming back to this church and talking to a clergy person who had not known her husband and planning a funeral with her. And she told me my husband's name was Edwin Adam. His name was Ed Adam. And they remembered Polly Sheets. They remembered other names and faces in our body of Christ. And they said he had been very active when he was here. And I would, had not come until the summer of 2016, so I didn't know firsthand about this gentleman. But then after we had an incredible opportunity to plan and prepare together and to share stories and for me to learn who Ed was and who he remains to be in those that love him, they came through the fellowship hall. And they were, as most people do when they're in the fellowship hall, they were utilizing the facilities. And as they were gathering back in the fellowship hall, they noticed that display case that's in the back of the fellowship hall that has artifacts of the time of this congregation, even before it became United Methodist in 1968. And so they were standing there, and they noticed that there is a bulletin from the day that they broke ground in 2004 to build the fellowship hall the last major building project here in the building. And there on the side was listed all of the lay leadership 
that were a part of not only leading the church, but leading this effort to build the fellowship hall, and there was Ed's name as church council chair. And I thought about all the times that I had been in that room. I thought about how just a couple weeks ago that I and almost 100 other volunteers stood, sat, ran, did all kinds of things in that fellowship hall to pack 20,000 meals in two and a half hours, and Ed was a part of that. The Holy Spirit, the same one that came down on Pentecost, had come upon Ed and had fostered his life and had led him to this place where he knew that the vision that he had and the dream that he had could be actualized for this church. They didn't just build a fellowship hall. They were dreaming bigger. And they thought, if we're going to excavate the ground, we'll put in a basement. It had not been part of the original plan. They put in the basement. And what is housed in that basement now? Grace Grocery the single largest distribution center for free food in Albemarle County. The Holy Spirit is still with us. It is still doing things. It is still active and vibrant. What it needs is the same thing that it needed that first Pentecost. It needs God's people to be ready to be in prayer, to be together, to be united, not because we agree on every single thing, but we are united by the Christ who has saved us. And if we are united in that, then the Holy Spirit is ready to build kingdom here. Too often we treat it like it's just that warm and fuzzy feeling that's in our hearts, and as long as we feel connected to God, we feel that our faith is fine. But if Pentecost has taught us anything, it is that we have been given that strange warming of the heart, to quote John Wesley, that we might be ignited and rekindled and on fire to build the kingdom. Not that we would feel good, but that others would feel blessed. That was the point of Pentecost. These were people who had had their Christ moment. They had been individually called by Jesus into earthly ministry. They had followed him. They had witnessed all of his miracles. They heard his preaching and teaching. They were the ones that got to experience three earthly years of ministry. They were there for the crucifixion. They were there for the resurrection. They were there for the ascension. They knew who Jesus was. But we did not. And so they wanted to make sure that Christ didn't end at the ascension. And God was united in that purpose, knowing that in order to build kingdom, to plant a church, to establish the body of Christ on earth, we were going to need God's self with us, within us, upon us, and it worked through us. And so the Holy Spirit descended that day. And it has never left us. There has never been a day since that first Pentecost where the Holy Spirit has not been emboldened, emblazoned, and embedded in at least one, one disciple of Jesus Christ. And we wonder, is it still at work? Because even 2004 seems a long time ago. Think of all that has happened in almost two decades. I'm sure Ed never envisioned a pandemic. I'm sure that wasn't part of the the glorious vision that the 
body of Christ at that time here in Crozet had for Crozet United Methodist Church and Crozet and the Commonwealth of Virginia, the United States of America, and however far our missions and our ministries could expand across the globe. No one was prepared for that. And we wonder, has it forever changed everything? Church doesn't look and sound and feel the same as it did before. The world does not look and sound and feel the same as it did before. Are we in a new age? Are we in the end of ages? Where are we? And when you're lost in the darkness, you look for the light. You look for the light. And the light came to us in God's presence in tongues of fire almost 2,000 years ago. But now, it's not just burning over our heads anymore. It should be burning in our hearts. It should be ignited in our minds as we do strive to pray together, to discern the vision, to dream the dreams, and to make them a reality. Next week is confirmation. Next week, we have 10 incredible young people that are asking to join the church, not just the Church Universal of Christianity. They're asking to join the denomination, the United Methodist Church, but even bigger than that, my siblings in Christ, they want to join you. They want to be part of what is happening here. And they believe, not just in Jesus Christ and his salvific power, not just in the power of forgiveness and the grace of God, they believe that they have been called to us, to this purpose. And so next Sunday, the red will remain. In the typical liturgical life of a church, red is only one Sunday, it is Pentecost. And it looks so good, that's a shame. And so I can remember at my last church, we used to try to find reasons to keep the red up, like we'll just preach about the Holy Spirit all summer. But there are two occasions, liturgically, in the life of United Methodism where red is not only warranted, it is commanded. One is ordination, the other is confirmation. Because the Holy Spirit comes down. And next week, at nine o'clock worship, we're gonna baptize two young adults. And we're gonna accept eight others with them into ministry and mission and membership of this church. And they are on fire with the Holy Spirit. I have thrown everything I have to throw at them without prepping them for anything. I asked them, where do you see brokenness in the world? And every single one of them could name it. They could see the brokenness. They could see the lack of healthy relationships. They could see that people are hungry. They could see that people are homeless. They could see that people are struggling here in Crozet not just in the city of Charlottesville, not just somewhere else in Virginia. They can see it here. And then the next week I asked them, where do you see good? Where do you see Christianity or the church? Where do you see it doing good things? And one of those young adults, and they span from sixth grade to 12th grade, one of them doesn't skip a beat and says, I see it in how UMCOR helps refugees. For a teenager to be able to immediately spit out, the United Methodist Committee on Relief helps refugees. That's the Holy Spirit. And they saw more. They saw Grace Grocery. They saw the things that are happening in the life of the church, not only here, but outside of that. They saw it in Methodism. They saw it in Christianity. They saw good 
being done in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we weren't done. So the next week, I posed for them a question that most adults would love to be asked. We were talking about kingdom building and what does it look like and what does it mean? And I said, here's your question that you have no preparation for. If you could build something here right now and you don't need any permission from any adult and you don't have to worry about money, what would you build? Are you ready? There's no homeless shelter. There's no soup kitchen. There's no place where somebody can come and get a hot meal prepared for them and eat in company. There's no place where people have a safe house if they're in an abusive relationship. And for families that have children that are rapidly outgrowing their size clothes, there's no clothing swap where 12-year-olds might be able to swap with older ones as they grow and share the abundance of clothes that we have but just happen to be in the wrong size. There was no place for them to be able to call if they see somebody who's struggling that might need mental health care and support. They saw that there was no place for their peer group to safely gather without being considered loiterers. They said there's no place that we can gather together and work out without having to pay for a gym membership. And one of them said, let's build a basketball court. Because together as teams, we can exercise and work together and have fun. They see the kingdom. They can envision it, and they can dream those dreams. And there was a part of me that immediately went, do you know how hard it is to set up a homeless shelter? Where are you going to do that? And then I remembered my own words. That's not the point of this exercise. This is an invitation. If you didn't have to satisfy adults, what would you build? And they built exactly what would fix the brokenness that they had seen. That's what they built. That's the plans that they laid out. Those are the dreams that they dreamed. That is not just the future of the church. That is the now of the church. And they are the ones that the Holy Spirit is reminding all the rest of us, I'm still here. I am here with you. I am here for you. I am here that you may be for others. The homeless, the hungry, the broken, the bored. I am here so that those who feel that they are unloved, unwarranted to be part of anything will know that they have always had a place in God's heart and they have a place in God's home. That's why I'm here. The Holy Spirit has not forsaken or abandoned us. We cannot forsake or abandon the Holy Spirit. And that's the harder part of Pentecost, is remembering that truth. Because the same Holy Spirit that was on Ed Adam, let me tell you, his story is one of true triumph. He was born the year that the Great Depression began. His entire childhood and young adulthood was spent in impoverishment, the likes of which a lot of us have never lived through. We may have had family members that lived through it and suffered through it, but it was his childhood. And he didn't become a person that hoarded. He didn't become a person that spent their whole life thinking there's never enough 
because his faith was stronger than any fear. And no matter where he went and what he did, he allowed his faith to be manifest in and through him. He came to Crozet, he joined this body of Christ, and he helped to lead and build here. He is living proof that Christians who are strongly connected to one another and God through the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit don't just survive, we thrive. And that is what we are witnessing in our confirmands this year. Every day for a teenager in this world is a struggle. It's a struggle. And yet, in the midst of struggle, they can not only see how to thrive, but they want to be part of helping other people thrive. And if you want to know what Pentecost looks like, sounds like, and feels like, it is that hope that they get it. Because how many times have you heard people be like, oh, teenagers, teenagers. We forget that we all were once teenagers. I'm sure we were all the best teenagers, of course. But I'll tell you, just like every other generation, we have our good and we have our goats. But these are some of the very best. And I hope that you will experience them. I hope that even if the vast majority of them are being confirmed at 9 o'clock, that's the worship service they attend. But I hope that even if you can't come to 9 o'clock, that you will come a little early and you'll get to meet them out on Lemonade at the Lawn. I hope that you will have the opportunity to glimpse that the future isn't just bright, it is here. And to be reminded that Pentecost is still very much happening every time a disciple of Jesus Christ dreams a dream, has a vision and prophesies about the love and grace of Jesus Christ, Pentecost is here. And it's not going anywhere. And the best part of this is that we are not just witnesses, we are partners, we are co-workers, we are companions in Christ. Because the Holy Spirit unites us. It melts us together. It molds us. Like a fire, it purifies, but it also brings us together that we become hardened against despair. We become ferociously anti-fear. And we believe that love and grace, forgiveness, and a desire to bless can truly overcome any obstacle. That's what Pentecost is. And so maybe the next time you see red, and I'm not talking about the metaphor for anger, the next time you see red, be reminded. I don't care if it's in a dozen roses. I don't care if it's in a red velvet cake. I don't care if it's in a sports team's uniforms. The next time you see red, be reminded that just as that color permeates our world, so does the power and love of Jesus Christ. And Pentecost is still happening now. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.